Welcome to your next favorite jam with jam. I'm your host, John Angus McDonald. Sorry about the radio silence, if we're still calling it radio silence in the podcast universe, but we hit the ground running this summer in the late spring and we kept the pedal to the metal um, all the way through to August and then a bunch of other life stuff to, to attend to. So I kind of let the, the podcast fall by the wayside a little bit. But if you're checking back in, thanks for being back here with me. Uh, Of course, I'm the guitar player for the band The Trues. That's the band that I got all busy with all summer. But thanks for being back. Today on the pod, we welcome back Brett Emmons from The Glorious Sons. Brett was the first ever guest on your next favorite jam with Jam when it was hosted on Instagram. started early on in the pandemic. Um... But was having so much fun, I just kept going, and now I've got this longer-form version of it. This is a new chat, just recorded a few days ago, catching up on all things in his world. We get on a lot of uh, digressions about touring and about playing with folks and life at home and, and all things in between. So, um, yeah, if you uh, enjoy it, like and subscribe. We do talk about some musical recommendations. I don't play them in the episode, but the Season 4 playlist is alive and well and on Spotify. So everything we talked about, all the music we addressed, I'm going to add it to that playlist so you can go give it a listen all in one place after you're done. A couple of quick notes about the show. Uh, at the beginning, we're talking about his screensaver background on Zoom. That's we talked over Zoom. And he had some lush field of green in behind him. Uh, that's why he's laughing off the head. And there was a little bit of tricky uh, Wi-Fi reception. So there's a little bit of lag here and there. But I think for the most part, you get what we're talking about. So, all right, here comes Brett Emmons. <laughs> I like the background. Can you can I, you see me? Yeah, I can see you just a second. I, I don't know. I remember doing this, but I don't know how to get it off. It doesn't bother me. You look like you're in a beautiful uh, pasture. Um, how's it going, man? Good. Are you? Um, good. How are you? Good. Are you aware of the new Bob Dylan book? Uh, I just read about it like two weeks ago. Okay. I I didn't read the actual book, but I I heard about it like on I think I was on Reddit. It's pretty cool. I'm like halfway through the audiobook. Like I've been listening to it when I walk the dog and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's called The Philosophy of Modern Song. He doesn't talk at all about his own songs. He just talks okay. about other people's songs. And he talks about them in the most like deep and descriptive and detailed way. I think you would love it. Like, and he reads part of it over the, he reads some of it. He, he'll be like, you know, Midnight Rider. This is a song where thieves run and, you know, like thieves run wild and free men go to die. And like, he, he just, and he dives into like the whole world of the song and he picks yeah. the craziest selection of songs. Like there's a few pretty well-known songs, but there's a lot of like really, really rare fifties country songs. You know, it's, it's really, really cool. Did it, did it make you go back and listen to like the rare ones? That's why it's taken me so long at, at the, I usually at the end of the chapter, I go listen to the song because I love hearing him describe it first. I mean, some of them I know, like he picks like London Calling by The Clash, Pump It Up by Elvis Costello, um, Ball of Confusion by The Temptations. Like some of them are pretty big hits. Yeah. 
but then a lot of them are just like George Jones songs I'd never heard of, or like a lot of artists I've never heard of, like uh, big band artists, guys that were like around when he was growing up, just stuff I didn't know about. So like, it's, it's a pretty informative book. Wasn't he like extremely like influenced by like Waylon Jennings and all that shit? Is it Woody Guthrie? Is it Woody Guthrie? Not Woody, Woody Guthrie was his like one of his foundational guys. Yeah, yeah. And like Woody right. Woody Guthrie would have been playing with like Lead Belly. Like those guys would have been contemporaries. Um, oh, fuck, you even know Lead Belly. You don't know his stuff? No. Le- oh, just very much. Well, you know some of the songs. Like you must know the Nirvana Unplugged album, right? Yeah. So that ends with a Lead Belly song. Uh, Where did you sleep last night? Okay. That tune, okay. that's a Lead Belly tune. And like, he has a pretty famous version of Goodnight Irene. And uh, my favorite, he wrote The House of the Rising Sun, or he's often credited with writing The House of the Rising Sun. So the Animals did that, and then Bob Dylan did that. But th- but their versions are much different than Lead Belly's version. And Lead Belly okay. killed a man and went, no. to, and went to jail, <laughs> shot, a, shot a man in his guts, killed yeah. him, went to jail, and then had to get bailed out by these like guys who wanted to like catalog. I can't remember their names, um, but these guys wanted to like catalog American music in like the I think it was the yeah. early '60s. The Lomax Brothers, that's what they were called. And they went down south just looking for these guys that made these field recordings. Most of them had crappy jobs. They were back in the fields. You know, they were back like tilling the fields. Some of them were in jail. Some of them were already dead, like Robert Johnson. But like they went to like figure out these guys and make their recordings and get them into like the Library of Congress because this was like American history. And then those guys subsequently had like a huge comeback in the 60s when people like Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and Pete Seeger started like bringing folk music back to like the front, like to the mainstream essentially and those guys were able to come back and play like newport folk festival and uh, but those guys like you know some of them man- managed to eke out a living later in their lives but like the people that wrote the book on blues and americana most a lot of them died broke a lot of them di- went to prison a lot of, like it's kind of crazy you know where it, where it all started out mm-hmm. but you know yeah. I, I digress how's how's everything in uh glorious sun's world it's good. It's good. We just uh, finished an album, and um, now I'm trying to figure out. I was telling you on the phone the other day, just trying to figure out, um, you know, chill living, which <laughs> unique skill. Right. It is. I, dude, I've been uh, like I've hung like probably like ten pictures. I like um, been like organizing closets. I feel so domestic. He's right now. Nice. How is Shambles doing? How's your dog? He's good. He's good. good. I tried yeah. to find a meme that reminded me of Shambles when I was texting with you earlier. Uh, yeah. Did that come through? He looked, yeah, it looked a little bit like Shambles. <laughs> it's the wrong color. <laughs> um, how, how is the new material shaping up? How's everything? Like, uh, are you guys happy with, with uh, how it's shaping up? We're super happy. Yeah. Awesome. I, um, yeah, it's it's it seems like the answer. I mean, we've recorded so many songs, and it just feels like this one. That, I mean, hopefully, we wouldn't have had to record a, another couple albums after this, but this felt like the thing while we were. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the weird thing about records and where bands go because ultimately. 
the fans think they want what you normally do, but that's not really what they ever want. You know, fans want what want they want what you're going to do next, and they don't really know it yet. Like I, I really feel like if a band isn't growing with every record, then they're not really doing their job. And but people always want you to sort of do what they love you for already. And there's only like a couple of bands that can sort of pull that off over and over. I find like ACDC are great at pulling that off over and over. We're like, they just hit the same note and they keep pounding. But that's like a recipe for boredom for every other band, except for ACDC, for whatever reason, ACDC has, has like their own air, you know, but like certainly a lot of other hard rock bands have failed really hard, just doing the same thing over and over again, you know, like like Zeppelin really grew and like, like a, a lot of other bands, but, um, so I, I think I think if I'm picking up what you're saying, it's like this was the record you guys needed to make next. This is what felt like a natural evolution for you guys. Like especially for ourselves, and I'm going out on a limb here, but for me too, like um, we recorded probably over 40 songs, maybe like high 30s, uh, wow. almost 40, and it just never felt like the thing was coming through. And there were the first the first one that we did was extremely uh, negative. And when uh, you say, when you say you recorded thirty or forty songs, mostly home recordings, demo style. But they weren't really demo style because in our minds they weren't demo style. Uh, listening back to some of them now, you might think they would be without like a mix or something, but. Right there's a lot of them that are actually like mixed and mastered in there as well that are good well, songs. Will they ever see, just, will they ever see the light of day or are they just um, shelved it, for it now? Just, it just depends because I ripped so much from old ideas that I've had that like they, they just kind of continue to grow and I, I kind of place them in new songs. If I'm, feeling that vibe or or if the lyrics are leading me that way because usually if i put lyric in a song i like it yeah. like it's not uh like a throwaway thing usually for me so usually that'll get recycled so if some of it doesn't uh like show up in new music then you might hear it sometime but again i mean how long would that be well <laughs> it's interesting what, it's interesting what you're hitting on if your new songs become classics, I mean, they'll, they'll certainly be listened to a ton by your fans. It's always really cool to go back. Like the way these box sets are coming out now, like the latest Beatle box set with a revolver. It's really cool to see artists you love and watch the evolution of a song in hindsight, like, like maybe five, 10 years down the line and just be like, Oh, he was, he was trying that verse out in this song and that song didn't work out, but it ended up in this song and this song really worked out. And that that's, we have tons of that in our, in our closet now too, from our past, you know, I listened to songs where I could tell we're going to get somewhere and where we got was totally different, but it's, you know, that little piece started way over here. You know what I mean? So it is, it's all part of the Mm -hmm. same process, I guess, in the end. The good shit always sticks with you. I I don't know why. I mean, I'm sure I've forgotten some good shit along over the years, but Mm -hmm. I've found that the stuff that, I remember is I, I still like it even years later, especially the stuff that I've remembered from like, say like four or five years ago, like that. Right. It could just be, a but there's a reason that you wrote it. And, and there's certain things that you just hang on to. And 
sometimes you like give yourself a pat on the back even though it's not even in a song you're thinking to yourself like someday i'm gonna fucking use this <laughs> yeah 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 that's good you know? stuff yeah that's the good stuff yeah well i look forward to hearing all this stuff man because i'm you know I have a lot of uh, faith in, in, in your guys' abilities as songwriters. And um, yeah, I know you guys push yourselves really hard. And I, I think that's like the key, you know, um, to, to, to moving forward and growing as artists. You know, I think that's the main thing I would tell anybody starting out. It's just like, write a ton, work really hard. I mean, like, what else can you do, right? That's like the, that's the keys to the kingdom lie in that formula. If you got something to say, you got you to gotta do a lot of it. And usually... I think I found over the last couple of years, especially if you have something to say, working more isn't going, going to take away from that. Like even if you're hitting your head off of a brick wall, mm -hmm. slow things kind of present themselves. Like well, the work is the, like no matter what, the work is the thing that matters. It's, it's the craziest thing. And I'm so happy to be done this, believe me. But looking back on it, I don't think we would have had 50% of our album if we decided just to go with our very first instincts. Right. Uh, that's a really, really, really good point. And something to be re to remind yourself of as you go, because sometimes you, you do want to get into a zone where you're like, everything we do is genius. Um, we're just going to put it out. And that's a dangerous instinct. And I was talking to Colin about this the other day. Like it's important to write a lot of songs. It's not important to publish a lot of songs. Like, you know, you don't have to put everything you write yeah. out. You know what I mean? Yeah. I got in a weird mood during COVID where I thought that we were just going to release songs like every month. And like I was listening to a lot of John Prine and, and all these artists that were releasing constantly. And, you know, they have you know, so many songs under their belt. And I wanted to be prolific like them. And I'm so happy that everybody oh. told me take a step back yeah but and you also you didn't officially release right you were just releasing through instagram or whatever else it was like and i think that's fine i think we live in a different information age than like yeah. john prine lived in but he still but also, took his time and put records together you know i also forgot that he was like fucking 80 something years old like there's still time <laughs> there's still time there's still lots of time you know and I think of artists like Ryan Adams or whatever, for, for instance, and I, I'm like overwhelmed by his output, like to the point where like, I wouldn't know where to start listening to him. I would need a friend to like make me a playlist and be like, these are the best 12 start here. You know what I mean? Have you ever listened to anything uh, by him? Yeah. I really liked him when he came out, like, or when he went solo, you know, he was in whiskey town and I like those records. And then that, that one that sounded kind of like Paul Simon, that first record, you know, had like, uh, is that the, uh, with uh, uh i'll still love you i'll always love you new york that one okay i don't think that's the one that i got on um i haven't heard that album actually but i thought his first album was that um with that song from old school you oh can... you'll be young and yeah and you were sad to be young yeah. is to be sad yeah that's yeah. a wicked song very very dylan-esque to get back to uh, what we were saying earlier it's extremely yeah. dylan-esque yeah um, but I, I liked a lot. Is he still releasing tons of albums? Yeah. I mean, my buddy just told me uh, he went through some shit, right? He got kind of canceled. Yeah. And um, yeah. I think he's like slowly reemerging. He has a Toronto show. So my friend was like, check, you should go to this show. And that's what got me thinking about him again. I was like, what's he been doing? I looked and there's, 
it's got it's like almost like Weezer too. Like certain bands are just like putting out like two, three albums a year, and it's mm-hmm. just like it's it's overwhelming. You know, it's it's hard to keep up with. Yeah, I don't think that my quality like would be good enough in the writing to for us to be able to do that. It's just it's the cream always flows to the top for me, and although it's an arduous and long process, it just seems like the longer I take the more things come into focus very slowly mm-hmm. and it's moving, but that's just the way it seems like it's been. So when are people going to hear this stuff? Do you think? I don't know. It's still got to be mixed and mastered. And so, then set up and then set up. I don't know how long that takes. I'm hoping that we start setting it up like while we're mixing and mastering it, because obviously it's been such a long period of time. When was your um, last album release because you guys did an ep yeah but that was kind of that was like a fan page gp even it wasn't really like a but it had a big single on it like um it had daylight and young king on it but no what's uh, the one that got the heck played out of it i heard it all the time hold steady hold steady wasn't that on it yeah 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 yeah. It had a good rhythm, that song. I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's a cool song. It's a cool song. But that, again, was, on, no. th- that was on the EP. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then um, we're, we're, we self-produced, and that was awesome for us. And unique and, like, I'm happy that we did that. But, again, it's different than getting something into focus and figuring what that is and, you know, uh, following that feeling. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So early, yeah. early next year, probably for that new record. Hopefully, yeah. Right. Hopefully. Cool. Well, I want to go all the way back to the very beginning of your guys' recording career because I was there, um, and uh, I kind of want to get your impression because it's been so many years, and we've you know tipped back a lot of beers in the meantime, and shared a lot of stages, and done a lot of stuff, but. Um, you know, what was your guys' impression walking into the studio in 2014 to record what, be, what Mama was the first thing we did together? The first song is like still one of your like enduring kind of classics, you know, That's a, yeah. so certainly a big fan favorite. And, and it was, I was just starting my, my producing career outside of my own band. I think you were like the only the second act I ever worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was new to all of us kind of, um, like what were your, I don't think I've ever asked you. We're you like, who is this asshole? Or like, well, <laughs> what was it? What was it like? How did it feel? Cause I know what I felt like to go into a studio for the first time. There's a lot of weird things. You know, you kind of feel like you're under a microscope in a lot of ways. Uh, I really think that we were blessed because we knew so little. I didn't feel like there was any pressure when we went in with Nick and you. Yeah. And- and did uh, I think what we did the EP there? So we did Ruby, Caroline, um, White Shape Noise, Mama, White Noise. Like that was just a feeling of ah. There was nothing. There was nothing else accompanied to that time in my life where I look back and th- think can feel a feeling except for just pure like I can't believe this is happening. I. Mm. And I think we really benefited from that because you hear bands going to record their albums and whatnot, and they might 
find you know some somebody who they're paying a ton of money or uh like like looking for that shot through you know you know how it goes and and they get let down so much and they have this negative experience for for us i think that the ignorance was bliss we we didn't we said it so many times we didn't even fucking know what a producer was and like I, we deserve like a friggin' slap on the face for that in so many people's eyes but for us like a band was a band who played music in bars and sang and got drunk and had fun and like the whole process of it you know i'd read biographies and stuff that never seeped into my brain that that was the way that it went and that it was your big shot or whatever it it just kind of seemed like it was a foregone conclusion as soon as we got in the studio yeah you guys did have like a sort of natural confidence that um, you maybe instead of ignorance, maybe instead of just knowing you guys had the material, you know, because you guys were always good songwriters, you know, um, well, yeah. I, and you've honed your craft. I, we all hone our craft. But. Yeah. A lot of that stuff got shaped in the studio. It, yeah. And it also depends which one you're talking about, though, too, because we were talking about it the other day. And when we went in the second time at North or um, uh, in Hamilton, what's that studio called again? The church? Catherine North. Catherine yeah, Ca- North. I Catherine get it mixed North. up with North and Princeton. Yeah. Um, I think there was like more at stake because we had a song on the radio or, or, and there was, and like, yeah, I, I even, we talked about it. I tensed up like vocally and, and I, feel like we kind of felt the pressure a little bit more. The, I, I think we all felt the pressure. Um, you had a label by then and manager mm-hmm. and success. There was already success. I think the second single white noise went to like all the way to number two or something. And I think we were yeah. all like trying to deliver really hard, which as if you compare that to the first session where we were all um, having a laugh, you know, drinking yeah. crown Royal and yeah. beers, still working hard, but like, um, really having a laugh. I remember you doing the vocals for mama and me needing to remind you to stay on the microphone. Like you were literally like head banging in the, in the vocal booth. <laughs> like, no, no, you have to stay in front of the mic so, <laughs> so that it picks up your vocals. Um, I but, know. I, but, but everything went quick and uh, it was a big, a big laugh that had great results. Um, and then I think by the time the contender, uh, not that contender, what'd you guys call it? The union that, that record came along. What's, that's, what's the second record called? It's called the union, right? Union, yeah. Yeah. By the yeah. time that came along, I think we were all we all in the mindset of like now we have to deliver. You know, like the the perception had changed, and I do remember, um, like slaving over some vocals, which we didn't have to yeah. do at all in the EP, like comping twenty takes and going in and trying to pick just the right thing, and then you coming back towards the end and being like, no, 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 I'm just gonna sing the whole thing again, and you, I think you sent we sang like 10 songs in like two days and we had all new lead vocals and they were great. Whatever it was, you just got over that mental hump at that moment. Well, it was, I think uh, you were, I remember you specifically telling me like, Hey man, you weren't even on the mic for like the, the EP. So just like the, the thing that's cool about you is that you have fun. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's that, contagious, man. Yeah. That's kind of what bled in, I think to that process. And, Again, it was awesome. I mean, we had, it was great, but it was a little scarier the second time around. Yeah. For yeah. sure. It, it's a weird learning curve, man. It's, and yeah, and it's we, weird. We Suc- up- success is weird. 
you remember how messed up we were when we showed up it was like after like a uh some kind of i think it was a black box party uh like label party and mm-hmm. we showed up and we heard there was beer on tap or whatever yeah and like the first two days were just shit okay so <laughs> for the listeners we were uh, for whoever listens to this, the list, people out there, um, Catherine North is endorsed by a beer company called Wellington, Wellington Brewery, I think, and they hand deliver a keg whenever it runs out. And I mean, this is what I think this was the big thing that closed the deal for you guys. Like, we're going to work at the studio with the keg, and everybody slept in the basement of the church, which is it's pretty cool. And I, I think somebody was even sleeping on the pool table. Um, but yeah, and the beer, I think you guys must have drained that thing dry a few times over, over the course of those weeks. <laughs> that was well, good we shit. had fun. Friends out. We had our friends out and our parents out. And it's, yeah. it's just always been there for our recording. Just a very communal experience. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'll probably, I'm going to cut this up and play some songs in between, but I'll probably play mama just cause we talked about making that. But since I'm kind of doing this, your next favorite jam thing, still trying to shine a light on lesser known, lesser listened to stuff. What's one Glorious Sun song that you think needs a better shake? Needs a, What one are you real proud of that maybe isn't in your top 20 most listened to? Uh, do you have one that you're fond of um, that maybe you think could use an extra hearing? We did this before, right? And did I choose Funny Thing? We didn't do it about your songs. We just did it about oh. other other songs. So a funny thing happened. Did yeah. you guys open with that song in St. Catharines that night that we all came down and played with you guys? Probably. That That's a really good tune. That was my first time hearing that song and, and realizing. It's, it's just so, I mean, there's like not much going on at all in it, which is sweet. But also there's like the lyrics are like really dark and sensitive, but they're played over this kind of like, I don't know if you want to call it punky thing. And I just, I don't know. There's something about that song that I think that um, somebody who likes it when they listen to it, will listen to it for a hundred years, you know, right. they'll listen. To so that's, that's, and I, I mean, I love it. It's still top five favorites of mine. Okay. Let's listen to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, no, that's cool. I remember, I remember seeing you guys. Um, yeah, I remember leaning over to Jason. I was standing with you. You guys opened with. I was like, "What is this tune, man?" I, like, I didn't, I didn't, yeah, hadn't heard it. Or hadn't heard it like that. You know, it had like a real great power to it. It's, it's definitely powerful. It's sweet life, too. You can just see the body start moving. Yeah, like no matter where you are, it's just fun to play. You see, like movement and then when you see movement it just you've been there before yeah oh, it's just the best thing in the world. yeah yeah we're not going to actually listen I'll, I'll put it all in later but um what, what what as far as live are you guys done for a while or are you guys waiting until the summer or what's up we've got a few unannounced things coming up just kind of special things that we're doing like kind of underplays okay and um that's about it other than that, I, uh, there's like a schedule and we're heading to the UK at some point between now and the spring. Um, 
we were going to do an American tour, but we thought it'd be better to wait till the album was released to announce another right. American tour. Yeah. So <clears throat> we've got a lot of time on our hands. Cool. Well, it's yeah. not, not the worst thing. You'll you'll probably be looking for that time before long. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because you like it's, it seems like you hate it when you have it and you love it when you don't have it. It's yeah. the weirdest the weirdest conundrum if you're i don't know maybe other people feel this but i'm sure you understand it if you're a touring artist it seems like it's such a weird grind to get um to to uh i guess navigate the transitional periods between tour and life and tour that's i have always always had trouble with that yeah, yeah. i hear you man I, I when i'm out for a while especially now that I have a family at home, I'm always like, okay, I got to get back. I, I start to feel guilty and I start to feel like, uh, you know, all these long days where I'm sometimes just lounging in a hotel bed for hours. <laughs> I'm like, you know, my wife is going crazy raising two kids. I'm like, I should get back there, you know? Um, and then, you know, but I love the pace of the road. And then I get back and for a few days, I'm like, oh, this is so nice. It's so like different. And then that itch comes back where you're like, uh, you're ready. You're ready for that adventure again. And it doesn't take long for it to build up. I have two questions. Mm -hmm. One, when you're in the hotel room at the start of tour, is it like, this is fucking perfect. And then slowly as the tour goes on, the doubt and uh, self-hatred creeps in. Yeah. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. At first it's like a, a totally relaxing. And then you start to feel, you know, I've gotten better at filling my days on the road, but like, that's the hardest thing. You know, like you, you just want to feel like a productive human being, especially if there's days off. Like I've started taking yeah. my laptop and my recording stuff and just like set it up and try to tinker away with something because at the end of the day, or, or at least like go see the city or go, go for running down by the river or go to a museum or something because the days start to get really long and you start to feel like, you know, like you're wasting a lot of time, you know, or like, or not you not maximizing the potential of these days, you know, where you could be, I don't know, doing something great or doing anything at all besides recovering from a hangover. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, mean? I, yeah, I feel the days off are the real killers for me. As long as we're playing, I feel right at home. I could be wasting three hours, but I, I'm like classic, kind of Michael from the office kind of guy. I'll just walk in and annoy people in every corner of the, <laughs> of, of the arena or the club and just <laughs> ask. And, <laughs> and I don't know. I have so much fun on the show days. Like if I'm there at 11 o'clock, I'm walking around with coffee. <laughs> That's good. In the yeah. Um, I I never really feel that. To be honest, I never feel that way on tour. It's just usually when I get home. If but you're my, my if you're Michael, then who's Dwight? Who's Dwight? Ah, your fuck. keyboard player. It's got to be your keyboard player. <laughs> no, Kosh isn't Dwight. I mean, Coster would be like a way different Dwight, but I guess he would be Dwight in a way. And who's He's, Kevin? Who's like the really like over it all? You sit, you know, right. jaded. <laughs> Well, he's not. I can't call anybody Kevin because that's such an insult. I'm not talking physically. I'm not talking physically. No, but also he's kind of fucking dumb. Okay, uh, all right. Paul Brennan, like the union guy. Brennan, yeah. our uh, 
our monitor tech, the union guy, but he's not like that either. He's just, the way he moves is so slow and funny. And it, it cracks me up because he's there just to do a job and he loves his job. But like, other than that, he just loves crushing beers. <laughs> and and you're the guy coming in going, uh, that's what she said about everything. Well, kind of. Sometimes <laughs> I'll stop and just kind of get a little depressed because I'm like, fuck, I'm Michael from the office right now. <laughs> Or you're the goose that lays the golden eggs, you know, like, I mean, the singer's kind of important, you know, the, the whole My, thing, the whole thing grinds to no. a halt. The whole thing grinds to a halt without the singer, as you, as you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have a question though. So when you get home, is it easier for you to adapt because you have kids or is it uh, like more of a kind of slap in the face? It's certainly a slap in the face, like sleep wise. Cause when I'm, like my average bedtime on the road is like 3 a.m. You know, like average, you know, some are a little bit later, some are a little bit earlier, but like that's the average time, especially on the bus. I mean, on the bus, it's like probably five. Um, And so that's a real culture shock, like to come home and, and then suddenly like the alarms, not the alarm, the kids go off at six, you know, Um, and your wife has been doing it by herself for a month. So she's like, I'm sleeping in. And, and you're just like, yeah. oh, God, I feel like I just went to bed. And uh, you're just kind of like sleepwalking through the first couple of days. Uh, and they're so happy to see you. They're like jumping on you in your bed and like, you know, accidentally knocking you in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, but you're so happy to see them, too. So it's like, you know, it's it's a real funny thing. It's just like it's culture shock it's, or it's like jet lag or it's like anything that's like jarring. You know, it's like just something you got to get used to. But um it's a real mixed bag of feelings. Cause like you said, you're, you're, but like I was saying, you're just really excited to be back and uh, seeing the, seeing everybody again. Um, and then now I've been off for a couple of weeks. Like, I don't know, we're, we're off for, like till the end of the year. And I just feel like I'm completely in like the normal world routine. Like I go to bed at like 11, I get up at six or seven, probably six. And then I'm ready to go to bed again at 10 or 11 and like eating at regular times. And, you know, in a way I miss, I miss the road and the, the chaos and the adventure, but uh, I'm totally settled into this now, you know, you're back in the mode, back in that mode. Yeah. And then the first couple of days, the first couple of days on the road will be punishing when I go back out, you know, uh, the first couple of days where we stay up until, you know, three, four in the morning that they're going to feel pretty rough the next day. Does your voice get raw? Uh, not like- really. I don't sing as much as guys like you and Colin. Like I, I do sing pretty high when I sing, like I have a high harmony in a lot of songs. Um, but no, I don't really, unless I'm sick, I don't really, it doesn't really, like I get better at it the longer I'm on tour. Like yeah. my, my voice needs to get broken in. My worst singing will be on the first couple of days of a tour after I've been lounging around for months. But that, that's my worst singing. I gotta like, I, it's like a mitt, you know, like a catcher's glove or something. You gotta like work it in, you know? Yeah, good leather. Good Canadian leather. Good Canadian leather. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to talk real quick about, because I get asked this in almost every interview I do, um, and you've had experiences with, with this band, the Rolling Stones. Um, you got to play with them a handful of times, I believe, right? Three, three times, yeah. Three times. I, I mean, I'm st- I, I still get asked. We did it back in 05. That's how long it's been since we played with the Stones. But I still to this day get asked about it all the time. And this band still commands so much mystique and, you know, 
they're one of the founding fathers of, of what we all do for a living and the business we all live in. And um, so they still command such an amount of, of uh, pull and energy and mystique and all the rest. So do you have a story from any of those shows that you, that you want to share or remember, or like, will take away, like, as you, uh, you know, when you think about them? Well, I fell the first show. So that was funny. You fell? Uh, yeah, I fell like just the classic kind of like, storied uh way too excited i think i've tripped over like a, an actual cable that was just on the ground was this uh, in was this in france is that the first yeah. show okay yeah and uh there was that the other story i guess would be jay was like dying to get beside keith for the picture sorry about i'm trying to get my charger right now i'm trying to get beside keith for the picture and he stood right beside the little placemat because they have placemats on the ground that say Keith, Mick, and then they'd have in between them band member number one, band member number two. But Jay sat, stood right beside the Keith one, and he's like, this is my fucking chance. He's so excited. And then pure, like, little brother steals everything from his big brother, Frash, and Keith comes in and he goes to look at the placemat and he goes, ah. No one can read them fucking things anyways. And he stood right beside me. And <laughs> I wasn't going to like tell him or move or whatever. So like a little piece of me died that day for Jay. I felt <laughs> so bad. Well, I'm sure he got, y'all got a handshake out of it and got to say hello. Oh yeah. 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 No, he wasn't, he wasn't actually upset, but, but that That's... was, um, that was the one story. I, I mean, other than that, it was pretty much business as usual. Like, was it kind of that way for you guys too? It felt like our show was was really different because it was at the Phoenix. So the Stones were rehearsing in Toronto, and they were doing like a secret warm up show, and nobody knew about oh, it. Yeah. And they invited us to open the day before, and it was like all this rumor, you know, like buzz on the street. The Stones are going to show up somewhere and play tomorrow, and we knew we were the opening act, but we couldn't say anything. They were like. If, you know, if Charlie wakes up with a sore wrist or if Mick wakes up with a sore throat, the whole thing's canceled. Right. So don't tell anybody. So we didn't tell anybody. And then the day came and they announced it on the radio. And then suddenly there's like a lineup all the way down the street, people trying to get into this show. And we were opening and it was it, the cool thing about playing with them in a club is we loaded our stuff in as they were sound checking, like feet away, you know, like they're just rehearsing their show and we're like, Yes. coming in with our stupid little cases you know we're like only on our second record and like so it was awesome and we got to see them up close and personal um we did our, our set i don't remember much about it i think it went well um and then then we got the invite into their little dressing room and you know really hospitable you know i'm sure you guys witnessed like we had bobby keys was there at the time he's since passed on but like all their sort of supporting guys were so great to us. And then at one point the stones all come in and really, you know, graceful and, and dignified kind of like polite, you know, shook all of our hands, asked us how it was. Keith gave me a pic that I still have. And um, yeah, it was, and we had this great little exchange with them and a photo and then they went on and played and then we got to see them play in a club. And I think in a club, you get a real sense of how cool of a rock band they are. Like so much gets lost in an arena, you know, um mm. arena rock's the hardest music it's the hardest thing to have translate you know what i mean it's just it's just tough um the busier it is the worse it is and the stones are kind of like a fluid dynamic band and they're not like they're not like super uh like rigid and tight 
you know? So mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of like a slinky band, you know? And, and so that, I think that sounds even better in a club, you know? Oh, it definitely does. Yeah. So let's, yeah. let's play a stones number. You got a favorite stones tune? Favorite songs too, or or one you're just liking now. It doesn't have to be your all-time favorite. My favorite is probably Sweet Virginia. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I think I, that's my, that's my favorite. Like that's been my favorite the past two years. Such a good tune. I mean, yeah. Exile on Main Street is is my. I don't know if it's my favorite Stones album. It's such a hard thing to say. I don't know if it's the best. It it's certainly the vibiest. Like, it's maybe it too might long. Be a little too long. Yeah, it's it's probably too long. But it's it's from a start to finish. Like, as far as like entering a world, you know, if a record is like supposed to take you to a place, then that's the most effective version of that that they did. Mm-hmm. It's not their it's not their strongest collection of songs. I think Sticky Fingers, the record just before it, is What's Monkey Ma- Man. That's on Let It Bleed. So that's another Let one. And then there's Beggar's Banquet as well. Like so I think those four yeah. are often considered like their greatest records, like that those four in a row, um, mm-hmm. which is amazing to have like four just stone cold <laughs> classic records back to yeah. back to back. And that was in like a four year period or less. <clears throat> yeah, that's um, it's really it's really crazy. They were living in a different world. You know, the time was moving differently then. You know, there wasn't really an established industry to feed. I think a lot of bands were like, when we're 30, the ride is over. Like, I think mm-hmm. a lot of it's like most of these guys were preparing second careers. You know, like yeah. they weren't, they didn't think rock and roll would like literally seem to change the world and that they could do it on a corporate level and be billionaires by the time they're in their sixties and seventies. I don't think they considered that. And I think that there was like, everything was, it was, they were moving fast and breaking things, you know, and they were really clever young men and the times were crazy and the industry was on its way up. So they were all just riding it. That's why there was so much good music at once. There's no other explanation for why you had like Bob Dylan and Jimi Hendrix and the Rolling Stones and the Beatles and the animals and the, you know, they're all operating at the same time, you know, like, and then on the West coast, you had like Jefferson airplane and the grateful dead and the doors and like everything was happening and it was all kind of happening at once. It's kind of like unbelievable, you know, what do they call that? They call that something. It's like collective. Um, eh, there's a word for it. I forget it. But do you think that that was because do you think number one, that's a myth, not being able to play, like be great and fulfill, you know, I guess, uh, not be able to get more popular as you get older? Because I see so many artists nowadays breaking in their, you know, late 30s, 40s. And it, 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 do you think rock and roll changed that? Or do you think that that's just a myth in general? I don't think it's a myth. I, 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 I think they thought that at the time. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I think they thought that just because they thought that rock and roll was like a, a, a fad, like the hula hoop, you know, or like they, yeah. they just, they just didn't think it was, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like, the slinky exactly or like you know whatever else you know like playing jacks or whatever the heck playing dice whatever like i just think it was just one more thing um and certainly like the first wave of rock came and went like a fad you know like when you think about how brilliant the first generation Mm -hmm. of rock was which is whether it be like jerry lee lewis and elvis and buddy holly and roy orbison and johnny cash and those guys that kind of came and went and then like within five years, it was no longer popular and it was no longer being talked about. 
So I guess they probably mm-hmm. figured that when the British invasion came in the mid sixties, maybe this would be like another five year fad. And then we'd stop being interested in rock and roll, you know? So I don't think it was like an age related thing. It wasn't like after 30, you got no teeth, you know, I don't think it was like that. And I think certainly like artists like Neil Young went an awfully long way. He made some of his greatest songs in his twenties, some of his greatest songs in his thirties, some of his greatest songs in his forties, some of his greatest songs in his fifties, you know? Um, And I think Bob Dylan, as long as you can detach from like what what you loved about him in the sixties, um, as, as long as you keep an open mind about what he's doing now, he's still making some of his best work. Well, yeah. I mean, like uh, the one that he did with Lane Wanda, uh, Make You Feel My Love. I mean, you got Adele singing it at the Grammys. I, it's timeless, no matter what. It doesn't matter what lens you put that song through. It's going to be one of the greatest songs ever written. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I 100% agree. And maybe we should just play that song because that's, uh, I think that's it's one of his so modern real. classics. Yeah. Uh, I go, uh, I go crawl. Uh, I go hungry. I go black and blue. I go crawling down the avenue. <laughs> There's nothing so that beautiful. I wouldn't, do, nothing that I wouldn't do <laughs> to make you feel my love. Yeah, it's so yeah. beautiful. It's so good, and I like it even better by him. As much as Adele has such a beautiful singing voice, there's just oh. a desperation in his performance. I, you don't have to tell me that. There's, right. I, I love his fucking voice, and you know what I actually think too, is I think. If you listen to um, his voice on the Johnny Cash, his version of um, uh, Girl from the North Country, mm-hmm. that motherfucker can sing clean. He can I know. Sing, he can sing beautifully. I know. He just chooses not to. I know. He, he's got an amazing singing voice. Yeah. That, his voice in that song is so, it's like butter. I know he, he can put that on and, and his voice is pretty multifaceted and like, and when he was singing times, they are changing at 23 or four, he sounded like, like a a person of the ages. He sounded like a big, like lead belly or like, what do you got three? Like he sounded like the very blood and soul of America. Like he, he sounded so mature at like 22, mm-hmm. 23, 20, you know, blowing in the wind and hard rain and, and times they're changing. We're written in his early 20s, you know. Crazy. And, and then he got into his crazy, like, parodied thing, which is the mid-60s, like, which is what everybody kind of parodied him. But, but at the same time, he was what still writing. Would that be? That would what be like album? bringing it all back home and Highway 61 and Blonde on Blonde. You know, that, okay. and that's kind of considered his, like, trilogy of greatness. Like, I think if you had to, force my hand and say what's the greatest song ever written if you had to like put a gun to my head and the fate of the world depended on it i might say mr tambourine man i, I just can't i can't get so over the beautiful. and i can't get over the lyrics like i can't get over the lyrics in that song like take me disappearing through the smoke rings of my mind down the foggy ruins of time you know like it's unbelievable do you think okay do you know anything behind that song like, like what? What is it? What is it? What's it about? It does, like, I don't know. Anything, but one thing you like, one thing you like about his new book is he actually kind of chastises songs that are too specific. He's like, yeah. I can't. I'll only paraphrase. I won't be able to do it justice. But like, and we're all. I mean, we're guilty of this. And like, write, writing so specifically about one thing and one person and one thing and one emotion is you kind of mm-hmm. suck a lot of. Uh, Interpretation. Yeah, you suck a lot of air out of it, you know, and also like it can't be mine and it can't be yours. Um, 
And I, I miss tambourine man. I don't know. It's a Pied Piper. Like this guy's like, maybe it's about him. Maybe he's saying like, follow me through, you know, I'm doing these wild drugs now. And this is what I think about America. And this is what I think about time. And this is what I think about. And, and maybe he's Mr. Tambourine man. You know what I mean? Like I I don't, but I can think that and I could be dead wrong, but you know, um, I, I just think it's a perfect song. It is a beautiful song. It's amazing. I mean, I, yeah. I can't. I still think about those lyrics like almost on a daily basis. <laughs> but you know, I think I'm trying to think of what my favorite would be. There's a gun. Gu- there's a gun to your head moment. The fate of the universe depends on it. A simple twist of fate. Fate. Sorry, a simple twist of fate. Yeah. And I see, remember you telling telling yeah. me about that song years ago. Yeah. And then I didn't. I didn't get around to listening to it till like two or three years later. Mm-hmm. I still show it to like everybody that, you know, when you're showing songs to people, mm-hmm. I mean, I still, if I, if I want somebody to feel something, that's the song that yeah. I show. I think that song is just unbelievable. So I grew up in a house where that album blood on the tracks was on constantly. My dad was a Dylan nut. So I, I if I had to pick a favorite record again, like Dylan is so much, there's so much with Dylan. There's so much to dive into, but like a start to finish record, the way that Exile, like, you really get into the, a world with Blood on the Tracks, and it's it's famously his divorce record, right? His uh, yeah, didn't he write that to try to get back with his wife? Isn't that uh... well? There's all kinds of songs. I, I there's, I mean, it's who knows. I mean, I I know that there's songs like "You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go," which I've oh, heard yeah. is about his a f- person he was having an affair yeah. with. Yeah. yeah. So so he's like, you're going to make me wonder what I'm doing. You're going to make me give myself a good talking to that. That kind of <laughs> sounds. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, uh, but then simple twist of fate. I mean, I, I love, I was born too late, you know, like, I, yeah, that means so much to me. Like, is he talking about his sign? Like, is his sign not compatible? Is he talking about astrology or is he, what's he talking about? Is he, is he too young i mean like i don't I, I love everything about that line you know yeah the saxophone some somewhere far, far off plays yeah as he was walking like, on by the arcade where the light busts yeah. through the beat up shade beat up shade yeah with yeah. a window yeah oh, i love it so much yeah it's amazing i mean i could just talk we, we could start a dylan podcast you know I, I could talk about bob dylan all day i know um, I know you could. Well, okay. I was listening just before we move I know on. you could. Will you shut up? Today. What is it? Fuck. What song? Sorry, I missed that. I was talking over. I was, I was talking too much. The Kennedy song? The Kennedy song. I was hanging up a Kennedy newspaper and I was like, this doesn't feel special. So I put on uh, a murder most foul. And that song is, that's a trick. <laughs> Oh my god! That song's it's a like, trip. I I I think I, I this isn't my thoughts. I got this from I think somebody did like an analysis on online, and it's mm-hmm. like just about the the curse the curse of America. Like that led to like the cursing of America. Like and that was the thing that set it all off. And that's what he was trying to do. I mean, he, for all we know, he could have been trying to do something completely different. But when I hear that song and it's like, I don't know. Just when he starts referencing everything, and he's like, "Play Stevie Nicks," and he oh. plays so play me, so. play me another one, and another one bites the dust. Yeah, yeah. I and love then, that. But there's, 
and then he starts doing it though like in between he like he's not mentioning songs he's mentioning feelings and oh, just oh, man. so Jesse i thought was a lot making fun of it today because of the rub-a-dub-dub <laughs> it's a murder most foul. yeah but <laughs> <laughs> but I had thought about that song so much because it, he dropped it at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Um, in the, within the first month of lockdown. And he recorded it for that album. Say that again? He, he dropped that album or that song during the first month of like the global lockdown for, from COVID. Yeah. But he recorded it for that record, Tempest, yeah. which came out way before. And he held it off that record. So he didn't write it and record it about lockdown, but he decided to release it, uh-huh. which I think you know, he's such a head trip because I think like he, I think the environment you choose to release your song in is part of the art of, you know, of, yeah. of it, you know? And he's like, what is, what have people got right now? They got nothing but time. And here's a 17 minute song yeah. for, for one. And then for two, to me, it sounds like the death of the American dream. Like it, it's almost that's, like, yeah, that's... Th- this is what was great about America. Well, how, you know, Wolfman Jack, Oh, Wolfman, Oh, Wolfman, you know, the, the old fashioned DJ that was introduced in like the classic rock songs that he grew up with, you know? And then he comes and talks about, don't worry, the Beatles are coming. They're going to hold your hand, you know? And I, I, anyway, yeah. I, I, I think it's a brilliant song. It is. It is brilliant. I, I, uh, I was going to say that I didn't want to go that far because I, it it scares me to, to hear that but well you know the, what you know what the, i don't know if you pay attention to us politics but the american dream is holding on it, it's it's surviving for now yeah i i watched i watched the yeah the other night it yeah. was uh, it's, it's it's fucking scary it's hanging by a thread it but there's a re, a clear like refusal to go fully into like the Trump way, you know, there's like a clear kickback, like anybody he endorsed, I think 14 of them lost, you know? So there's like, clearly people are like, this is just, it's too much. It's exhausting. And people got bigger problems, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a weird balance. I mean, there's a weird balance to be struck with all of that stuff, which is, I think what's, I mean, I, let's not go down this hole too far, but I think that's what's such a struggle with that country right now is just how different people's loyalties lie and how strongly they feel about what they feel and how far away from one another they are. And that's, well, I, I think in no small part, this is like the most obvious statement of the year, but it's, it's because of technology. It's because of, how we get our information yeah. right we used it it's like yeah. it went from radio to tv to cable tv to social media and and you can you can have one set of things that you follow and i can have another set of things that, that i follow and we could be in different countries even though we're in the same town yeah i know and, and that's not and it's health- all based on a robotic algorithm yeah, who's that's that's spoon feeding you what you what it thinks you want to hear, and that's uh that's a dangerous place to be. Yeah, but yeah, we uh, we don't gotta yeah, go to like you not, said, it's a rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. There's no you can't win when you talk politics. <laughs> There's no winning. There's no winning. No, but it's also it's also so fucking it kicked it's it's like kicking a dead horse. 
Do you have a do you have any do you have any particular do you have any particularly political songs? Uh no, not really. Like anything political is kind of shaded with with um other stuff. Like Young King is probably the most political mm-hmm. song that we have. And I'm definitely happy the way that one come came out, but it, it's that's the most political I've I've ever gotten. Okay. They the shit that the shit that we didn't release, I guess you would call it political in a way. Um but it was more just like angry. Mm-hmm. Like really, really kind of um nihilistic and like just mis mistrusting distrusting and uh, and i guess to me i've seen so many bands over the past five years just do that over and over again it's like i don't really know if we need any more of that we don't we don't need to turn the tv on and see people dying of drug overdoses and and kids saying that their life doesn't matter and I don't, I don't, I know that's the way people feel a lot of times, but I don't necessarily know if everything has to be, um, uh, I don't think it has to be so negative. And I think part of, uh, what I've had to figure out was, you know, sure. I'm not, not everything's perfect in my life, but I, I, I felt like I was just contributing to noise. And I I got so tired of just he- hearing stuff like negative things about everything. And I know there are problems and I care about them and I like to write about them even, but I don't necessarily think that everything should be, you know, so nihilistic. I don't think that's good for a society. I don't think it's good for people. I, mean, I don't know. I, and I agree not... with you. I agree with you. And I think that music also has this incredible capacity to, to bridge gaps and bring people together that don't even know well, they're being brought together. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I like Freebird as much as the next guy and it doesn't matter what my politics are and your politics are. We both like Leonard Skinner or we both like Neil Young. We both like, yeah. you know, we both like run DMC and we both like Eminem. Like we, you know, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, music can do that. It, it's one of those unique mm-hmm. things. Like it can, it can actually has the ability to, to bridge those gaps without being all lovey dovey. Like there's hard well, things in the world. And to get back to it, it's, it's exactly the thing that you're talking about with Bob Dylan about things being so pointed about what they're about. I mean, I get it. People are suffering, you know, but I have a, I, I, in my mind, there's a way to feel more than one thing at a time. And I, that's what's kind of getting me about everything is everything's so doomy and gloomy that they, nobody is kind of exploring, you know, the things around that that can be helpful even to anybody in that who's in that state of despair. To me, you can be sad and also be thankful at the same time. You can be you can be angry and also have love for somebody. You know, it's not, there's the problem I have is with how specific it's gotten and how that anger has basically overtaken art, a lot of art, not all of it, but a lot of art in a way that um, that's all you see. That's all you see when you turn on the TV. That's all you hear when you turn on the radio. 
um, you know, it's like this weird thing that's happening that everybody's kind of, um, kind of going for the lowest common denominator and just, you know, hammering it down people's throats. Yeah. And nobody, and, and, and to your point as well, nobody's getting specific. Like each of these things have nuances and they have, and they have stories in them. They have tragic stories in them. They have, they have love stories in them. They have, you know, I mean, I know uh, we we could talk about Bruce from, but I just heard that song about, uh, as the band played night of the Jonestown flood, uh, from Nebraska, Um, me and Bobby uh, trading dances. Nothing's better than blood on blood or about his brother. Yeah. That, that song is beautiful. And like that song has dancing with Maria Yeah, as the band played Um, night of the Jonestown flood. What's it called? Yeah, it's about him chasing his, not him, but about a cop chasing his brother to Canada after yeah. he knocks, kills a guy in a fight. So that's a that's a really pointed song, and it's probably even a little bit political, but it's um, but it's so drenched in humanity, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key. Exactly. What's that called? I'm gonna look it up What's just so called? I don't I don't want to leave people hanging. Um, I'm just gonna look up Nebraska. It's not Johnny Ninety Nine, is no, it's not. It's uh, no. Uh, Nebraska, Atlantic City, Mansion on the Hill, Johnny Ninety Nine, Highway Patrolman. What'd you say? The, highway Patrolman is what it's called. Yeah, Highway Patrolman. That's it. Anyway, mm-hmm. killer song. I clearly don't know my Bruce like I know my Bob, but uh, but that's a case of a guy. Well, I. But that's the case of a guy, Bruce, who looks for the humanity in a situation and, and finds it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. Anyway, that, mm-hmm. that, and that's, that's, that's the moral of the one story. One of the darkest, darkest, one of the darkest records of all time, but there's still something so more, uh, I guess so much, there's so much more to it than that. Right? And you can find solace in it. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Like, you can find some solace and some comfort in just even hearing another story like that, you know? Well, well, in Nebraska, you can take the lyric and say, um, we killed everything in our path when he's talking about roaming around and killing everybody. And then mm-hmm. and then it all kind of ends with a bow on when when the judge, uh, when they pull the lever and snap my head back, make sure my pretty baby's sitting right there on, on my lap. Oh, wow. It's like, yeah. holy fuck. Like, like you, you're like you kind of like you're thinking to yourself like these two people are murderers, but I wish I had a love like that. That's pretty powerful. (laughs) That's pretty powerful. Okay, I want to ask you one more thing before I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, But I got another question for you, Kingston. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about Kingston because Kingston has something in the water. There's some energy in Kingston. I don't know if it's dark or light energy. There's some mixture of it, but it certainly has produced an awful lot of great Canadiana, like, um, you, you know, the obvious ones that tragically hip, but you've also got yourselves and you've got the Doug Gilmore's and you've got the Dan Aykroyd's and you've got the headstones and you've got the, you know, the list goes kind of on and on and on when you start digging um, of this sort of like energy that there's a lot of, of creative energy, I guess it is, or some, some, it spawns a lot. 
uh, for a place that's so small and it just sort of continues to, um, what do you think that's about? Like, do you have an opinion about that? Um, I know it's a bit of a, you know, you know, maybe it's a flaky notion, but, but to me, it seems true as an outsider, you know, and I've been visiting that city for 25 years, you know, and I've, we've played great shows in that city. I've, I'm, you know, I met you guys from that city. I made friends with the tragically hit from that city. And I, I sort of feel it when I'm there and I sort of recognize it as an outsider. And I just wonder as somebody who grew up, I know you're a little outside, but if you have a take on that. I, I have no clue. Like, I, I, I don't know. The first thing that comes to mind is that, um, it's an inspiring city. There's, it's beautiful, like downtown, obviously not, not all of it's beautiful, but downtown by the water kind of feels European in the way that, um, uh, I like, I'd say only Montreal and Quebec feel in Canada. Like if you go down by the water and Toronto, it doesn't feel like that anywhere. Um, Hamilton, the same thing. Um, there's a certain like there's there's a certain uh art just to the aesthetic of the actual city and i think that comes with it being the first capital maybe and how much money they would have put into um trying to make it look good and 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 uh, you know make it an inspiring place for people to want to go i that's the first thing that comes to mind to me um other than that i guess that I guess through that you could kind of have the take that that would probably lead more artistic people um, to be there or even to stay there so rather than going to Toronto or going somewhere else you might move from Odessa or Belleville or um, you know even Port Hope that's halfway between here and Toronto you might move from one of those places to Kingston instead of one of those other bigger cities. And it, and it is very small and you'll find that out as you live there, but it's still inspiring. Um, and it, and it feels for as small as the music scene and art scene is, it feels like there's still something there. And I wish that it was bigger to be honest, because I think that there's much more opportunity for, um, different clubs to be having music here all the time. Like even that it's a stopover town. I mean, like the reason Elton John comes to the K rock center is because he knows he can stop in between Toronto and Ottawa or the, and just make hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah. for as little amount of effort as possible. You yeah. could do that with so many bands. Yeah. And I feel like we haven't really capitalized on that. Uh, in the city but there is the magic i guess would probably firstly come from the history and the aesthetic and i think that kind of just bleeds through to people and i don't know that it has to be so specific i think that in general um even your barista or somebody (laughs) barista somebody who's working down there at the bars they, they all go there for something. It's not like anybody's there um, just to work a job, I don't think. Anybody who is living in downtown Kingston, uh, experiencing life there, is 
is there to um, experience a lifestyle. Right. And that that doesn't happen a lot in small cities. You yeah. you can't do that. You can't do that in Belleville. You can't do that uh, in Brandon, Manitoba. You can't yeah, do not, that. Not where I grew up either. You know, I know, I know what no. you're saying. Yeah. So it's a small city with like a real patented laid out life. And I think that that inspires people. That's good. That's good. I never thought of it that way. Like the physical elements of it. I always thought more in terms of like turnover and like you have new blood with this, you have a combination of school students, which is like new blood, young energy. And then you got military, some, some of that and government stuff. And then you got prison looming around every corner, <laughs> which I always thought was this confluence of light and dark energy, you know, like new uh, inspiring things. And then there's sort of like heavy energy. Like I accidentally biked up to the gates of Millhaven maximum security when we were making hope and ruin out in, uh, out in uh, bath. Like I, I, I was just clueless East coaster, just having a morning bike ride. I was like, ah, oh, I wonder what's up here. And they're like guy with a gun. Cause I like, turn around. You know? Um, so there's this, I've never this, seen it. There's this sort of darkness that's sort of lurking too, but I don't mean that negative. I mean, it's darkness is negative, but I mean, I don't mean that like it doesn't damn the place. I just mean like maybe makes it like a little gritty, you know, or it it gives it a little um, of that sort of, you know, edge, I guess. I mean, I played in a prison in in 2019. We, we did a show at the prison, you know, Kingston Kingston Penn. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just always thought it had an interesting mix of energies, you know, like, and and you're right. It is a very nice place to be at all at the same time. I think, I think you're right about that too. I mean, also the Queens turnover. I think you hit the nail right on the head with that. That uh, having kids from all over Canada and you know even internationally come to Queens every year and just contribute to the culture. Um, it helps. You always hear of a new Queens band that yep. is coming out. Well, yeah, case in point, it, like it, it, it happens every two years. When we were coming up, um, we started playing, we were playing AJ's like once or twice a year. And people are like, you got to have Bedouin Sound Clash open. They're a bunch of Queens kids and they're making a bunch of noise yeah. and they're getting good. We would have them open for us. And the next thing we knew, they were blow, they blew up and they were everywhere. And like it, you know, so it is cool to have that new, new blood turnover thing happening. Mm-hmm. So let's close it out yeah. then. P- give me a hip song to play. Your your fellow Kingstonian, uh, you know, band brothers, give me a give me a hip song to play. And keep in mind, this is next favorite jam. Shine 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 a light on a lesser known part of the catalog if you if you can. Uh, World Container. I'm with is you. That, on that. Is that is that a lesser known one? We bonded over that. That's like my favorite. I love that song so much. And that, yeah. and that, that's the last song on the album world container, which is probably the third or fourth last record. And yeah, I love that. That's a great one. I'll play that for yeah. sure. World container. My jam. All right, dude. Well, I, I'll, I'll wrap it up. I've been blabbering on here for forever. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll talk Cheers, to you soon, buddy. buddy. Yeah. Thank you. Be yeah, good, we'll man. Keep in touch. Time.